Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. All right. Uh, we are in, I think, the final week of our series on generosity. This is week seven. And uh, we've been talking about a whole bunch of of different aspects of generosity that are important for us to know. Now, we could have just started talking about ways to be generous, but I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense when we don't have a heart that is motivated to be generous. That's why we started looking at seven motivations for generous living, and we, we went from there to how to be generous with our time, how to be generous with the skills, abilities, or talents that God has given us, how to be generous with our prayer, and last week we started the topic on how to be generous with our, our finances or our money. Thank you so much. And uh, this week, we're going we're gonna to basically kind of tie up a few loose ends from last week. Last week was more a big idea about how to be generous with our finances. And now we're going to be very practical. We're going we're gonna to talk about what this looks like in our daily life of how to be generous with our finances so that we have some practical examples that we can live by. So let's, uh, let's just dive right in here. The question that we essentially want to answer is, how are we meant to give? What does it look like to be generous with the money that God has given us? <clears throat> Excuse me. The first thing that I think we need to understand is that when it comes to being generous with our money, we're all meant to give something. And we can see this example in scripture here in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, where it says, On the first day of each or of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. From this verse, we see that each person is to be involved in giving. It doesn't say only those of us with a certain status, only those of us who exceed a certain income, but Paul is teaching this church in, in Corinth that everyone is meant to be a contributor. Everyone is meant to give financially. Some will say, well, you know what, Jeff, I just can't afford it. So I, I just, I can't obey God in this moment. Well, remember last week's message where we talked about how some people gave out of poverty? Paul told us that the Macedonians, they were an example of generosity, even though they lived in extreme poverty. Second Corinthians 8 verse 2 to 3 said, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. That's amazing. That's not just giving because I can afford it. That's giving because God is giving me a heart of generosity. And twice in scripture, Jesus commends widows who gave uh, or in, their, in the way that they gave generously. One example is the widow that we see at the temple. One day, Jesus uh, sat down near the collection box at the temple to watch people as they gave their money. This is from Mark 12, verse 41 and 42. There were many rich people who came and they gave large sums of money. But what caught Jesus' eye as he was watching people give was a poor widow who came and put in two small copper coins. These two small copper coins 
equaled merely one sixty-fourth of what an average laborer would earn in a day in that culture. And then in verse 43, it continues, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. That's amazing generosity. That is coming from a heart that says, I know logically this doesn't make sense, but God is deserving of what I can give him, so I will give. Likely, if we had a friend who only had a few dollars left in their bank account and they wanted to give it to God, they wanted to drop it into the offering plate here at church, we might tell them, whoa, you know, I'm not sure if that's a really good idea. But Jesus saw exactly this scenario being played out right before his eyes where someone was giving everything they had and he did not jump in to stop them. In fact, he commended them and he he praised them for their generosity. And here we are talking about this widow year 2000 years later. So yes, when it comes to giving all of us, no matter what our situation, we are meant to give something. Sorry. The second thing that we need to understand in the practicality of giving generously is that we are to give to God first. Giving giving is a part of our worship to God. In worship, we honor God by putting him in his rightful place at the very top, the first place of our lives. If God is first in our lives, that means that giving to God from our earnings should also come first. Not only if we have something left over at the end of the month. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And other poor widow, and the other poor widow that Jesus commended in Scripture had a name. Her name was Zarephath. And he talks about her in Luke 4 verse 25 and 26. Zarephath gave what she had, her very last source of food, to take care of one of God's prophets, Elijah, instead of caring for herself and her son. Read, if you read the whole story, you can, you can look at it in 1 Kings 17. But we see that this widow um, gave to God and his purposes first. But then God took care of all of her needs after she gave to him first. She ended up with enough food not only to give all of what she had to Elijah, but then to feed herself and her son. But she only received those things once she gave generously. This whole idea of giving to God first and trusting him to care for our needs is also echoed in the New Testament in one of my favorite verses, Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is coming out of a passage where, where Jesus is talking about people who worry about clothes and food and what they're going to drink, and they, they spend their time focusing on those things instead of focusing on Jesus. But Jesus is saying, hey, focus on my kingdom. That's the most important thing. Give to me first. I'll take care of all your other needs in life. I love you. I know what your needs are. The third piece here for how we are meant to give generously is give generously and proportionally and regularly. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This verse is right in the middle of a discussion on financial giving. Think about this. 
Okay, so from last week we learned that the tithe was expected under the law in the Old Testament. Now, if this tithe was expected under the law, is it possible that now that the tithe is no longer the standard, our giving is meant to now generously exceed that 10% mark that the Old Testament set for us? Is it possible now that in this teaching of generosity, Jesus is actually asking us to go far beyond giving a mere 10%? Remember the two widows? They didn't give 10%. They gave everything that they had. They gave everything to what Jesus was asking them to do. The Macedonians that we keep referring back to, especially last week, it says that they gave out of their poverty. If they, they couldn't be con- considered generous if they only gave a 10% of their poverty because they may not have given anything at all. So if they did this, if the Macedonians and the widows, they gave everything they had, I wonder if generous giving is meant to blow that tithe out of the water. The more I read about these ideas, the more I'm convinced in my own life to give extravagantly and God will allow me to then reap generously as well because he's going to take care of all of my needs. If I freak out because my bank account is running dry and I don't give to God, that means that I don't trust God's power to provide for me. And it means that I trust myself more to care for my needs than I trust God. Isn't that what happens when we get greedy? Isn't that what happens when we worry and we fret and we don't give generously? I think that's what's happened in my life, and I, and I don't want to make that mistake again. Generosity also means giving proportionately. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 says, on the, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Okay, so that's very important, right? So we give proportionately according to our income. In other words, Paul's not saying that we all give the same dollar figure. We all don't drop in 20 bucks in the plate. It's going to be different for each and every one of us. But rather, we are meant to give a percentage of our income. The greater our income, likely the greater the percentage of money that we could give because God is blessing us with a lot. If you're a single person making minimum wage, your percentage may, may be more modest than a household who makes six digits a year. That's just the way life works. It's good and it's right to give proportionately from our income. Something else to take note of from this verse, not only does it say that, we were to, that they were to give money on the first day of the week, but they were to give money on the first day of every week. Do you see how regular regularity in our giving is something that's promoted here in scripture? What, what's happening here is we are being guarded against sporadic or haphazard giving where we don't make it a regular habit or a positive routine and we can eventually just kind of drift away from this good thing because we simply are inconsistent in our lives. For example, let's look here at the church in Jerusalem. Early in Acts, we see this pattern of giving in the local church, this regular giving. When the, early church, when the early Christians sold their possessions, they didn't distribute the funds on their own to needy people or causes. Instead, they brought the proceeds of the sales to the church leaders, and then it was distributed to anyone who had need. Acts 4, verse 33 to 35, talks about this. It says, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from
from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the feet of the apostles. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Again, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, it says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside some money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections need to be made. Why the first day of every week? Because that's when the church was meeting together. The, the New Testament church, they didn't meet on the Saturday that the Jewish people were meeting on. They met on Sundays. That's what they decided to do. Because that's when the church met together, that's when Paul is explaining to people, this is when you should give. Make it regular when you spend time together in worship. And there are several good reasons why we should give proportionately, why we should give generously, why we should give regularly, and also through the local church. That's an important one here. Um, reason number one for why we ought to give to our local church first is it... Uh, Oh, sorry. Here we go. It helps prevent the giver from becoming arrogant. There's something really special that God has done for us in protecting us in the way that he's asking us to give. Scripture wants us not to be arrogant in our hearts because of our wealthy status. In 1 Timothy 6.17, it says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. You see, we live in such an independent culture and we think the, the money that we have belongs to us and that we can distribute it any way we want. But it doesn't belong to us, does it? Remember, we learned that we're not owners, we're stewards. The money belongs to God. The problem is that when we give directly to a, a, a Christian mission or something like that, it puffs us up. Because often we are recognized by those who we gave the money to. Parachurch ministries are famous for this. And I, I think their heart is in a good place, but there's a small error that happens. When someone gives to a, a Christian ministry outside of the church, uh, oftentimes they're going to receive recognition from that parachurch ministry. They're going to receive a letter or a gift or something like that. You've heard this probably before when, when Christian... Uh, Christian ministries send uh, letters to your home and they'll say, hey, if you give this kind of gift, we love to give you this gift in return. Or if you give an offering of this amount, we love to bless you in this way. Well, what happens then to those who can only afford to give a very small amount, yet proportionately it is so much greater than those who give the great amount in the eyes of that ministry? Uh, what happens is that we can become arrogant or puffed up because they say, well, I gave the greatest amount and I received the greatest gift. So God is actually protecting us by saying, instead of giving directly to all these other things, give to the church. It makes it somewhat anonymous. And it's not that we're seeking the recognition, but we're simply seeking to be obedient. The second reason why it's really beneficial for us to give directly to God's church, the local church, is that the recipient won't feel indebted to the individual. Sometimes giving can be linked to expectations. Someone who receives money from an individual may feel like they now have to meet that individual's expectations. The recipient may even feel pressure to please the giver rather than the God that we serve. But if the giving is done through a church, that personal element is safely removed. And those expectations where someone is trying to please the one who gave them a financial gift are removed. I can remember like when Karen and I have been blessed by people and their intentions were awesome and so generous. But when they gave us money directly, 
and we knew who it was, and it was a fairly substantial sum, we're like, whew, okay, I wonder if they're going to think this about us because we're not using this money in this way or that way or another way. We, we kind of wondered, and we wanted to make sure that we were spending their money that they gave to us wisely. And instead of just looking at it as a generous gift from God, I'd say probably some of the issue was with our heart, but maybe that could have been done differently. I don't know how, maybe through the local church, and maybe some of that expectation would have been removed. But there's a benefit when we give anonymously instead of, to someone directly so that they know, oh, Jeff is now expecting me to spend this money in a certain way. The third reason why we ought to give primarily through the local church is it ensures that the funds are going to be handled wisely in most cases. We're not perfect as church leaders, and I've heard of churches doing wild and crazy things with finances, but praise the Lord, I think we have some excellent checks and balances in place here at CFC where not one person can do something wild. We actually decide on things as a committee through prayer so that we know that we're handing, handling money with, uh, with discernment. It's very possible for imbalance to occur, however, when each person gives to a pet cause. Sometimes uh, a cause will receive plenty, while the next, the next cause, which is also very good, won't get nearly enough. Sometimes the person or the ministry receiving money, they didn't even need the money, but we just liked them, so we kept giving to them. The early church faced this issue when people complained that the Greek widows were being neglected compared to the Hebrew widows during the daily food distribution. That's from Acts 6, verse 1 and 2. So what did they do? Well, they selected seven godly men to organize the distribution so that no one would be overlooked, so that no one would go hungry. This solution was possible because the believers gave to the church first. And then the church, which handled the money, could give equally to everyone who was in need and no one would be neglected. Another way to protect uh, from funds being misspent has to do with the giving to uh, uh, parachurch Christian ministries once again. Many Christian ministries have wonderful, godly people running them, and they live by a biblical standard, and they live with integrity, and they serve God, and they use their money well. But, unfortunately, not all parachurch ministries have this kind of reputation. There are some that promote... Uh, a biblical standard or a standard that's not biblical. And they would even have ideas that would be consistent with what the Bible says is sin. And they say, these things are no longer sins in our eyes. So it is important for us to be careful who we give to. Now it's interesting. If, if Joe Schmo calls up whatever organization he's giving to and says, I would like to know exactly where my money's going and what your beliefs are and all these kinds of things. These, these ministries may say, well, you know, it's, it's on our website. Just go check it out. But if a church calls and says, hey, we've been supporting this ministry for, for 10 years. And as a board, we feel like we would like to ask some questions and understand more about what you are doing with this money. They're probably more likely going to listen to uh, church leadership than to an individual. Rightly or wrongly, I'm not, I'm not here to say that that's good or bad. But the fact of the matter is a church sometimes holds a little bit more clout with, a, with an organization that they're giving to, so we can be protective of how this money is being spent if we give through the church first, and the church is then equipped with leaders to do research and make sure that we're giving to a good cause. Reason number four, the fourth reason why it is excellent an uh, idea to give to the local church first, is that it ensures that church leaders are adequately paid. This is a biblical idea, not my own, so just bear with me here. 
Our giving should begin with the local church because it is a place where we are spiritually fed and ministered to. In Galatians 6, 6, it says, Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 9, 11, If we have sown spiritual seed among you, or if we have taught you spiritual truths about Jesus, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? So Paul teaches that those who care for us spiritually, should they themselves be cared for materially? As your pastor, I love serving God by caring spiritually for this church family. I love it. I, would, I feel like God has answered my prayers and giving, given me the job that is closest to my heart. And my family and I, we would agree that we feel absolutely materially cared for by the generosity of this church. So we say to you, Thank you. Thank you so much. It's faithful congregations like this one all over the world that ensure that God's word is continually preached because churches like this one care well for their pastors. All of these have been reasons to give primarily to the church. Of course, if a person is giving significantly to the church, he or she may also want to give privately to the poor or as well as to other worthy causes. Those are excellent things to do. And I'm not trying to say we have to give only to the church. Remember, we use the word primarily. So that's the important thing. We just want to be cautious not to neglect a local church in favor of giving elsewhere. Um, at a church where uh, I used to attend, there was, a, there was a gentleman who actually stood up during a church business meeting and says, I don't tithe to this church. He used tithe. Whether you believe in that or not, it doesn't matter. But he says, I don't tithe to this church. This church doesn't need my money. And then he sat down. And I thought to myself, wow, that's heinous. <laughs> like that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard someone say. Because the local church is where he is benefiting the most in his relationship with God. It's where he's being fed. It's where he's being nurtured. It's where his kids are going to a youth group. It's where his family has grown up. And whether we deem a church needy or not needy isn't the point. It's all about our heart and our generosity towards God. And you know the amazing thing? is when we, we continue to practice these kinds of things and, and practically put these ideas in place in our life, we actually receive a tremendous blessing. God blesses uh, people for being generous in a few different ways. I want to I talk about that here. The first way in which God blesses generosity is he blesses the giver, okay, the person who is being generous. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, we've seen this verse before, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will reap generously. God allows us to collect proportionately to how much we give or how generously we give. And this happens in two ways. The first way is that he blesses us here on earth. We reap material blessings now to meet our needs. Now, Make sure you hear me. I said needs, not necessarily wants. Philippians 4 verse 9. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Clearly God says that he will bless us so that even when we give away, our needs will be replenished. See, that's how this widow Zarephath is able to give away 
all the food that she and her son have to live on and trust that God is going to provide. And that's the kind of generosity that God is trying to teach us about in this idea. We can give trusting always that God will meet our needs. And also, so we know that's here on earth, but also in eternity, God wants to bless us. Remember this from last or from a week ago. Sorry, skipped ahead. As we live and give generously now, God promises us or promises to reward us with a bunch of different things in eternity. His presence, the people of God that we'll enjoy eternity with, possessions, pleasure, power, and praise all in heaven. So that's the way that he blesses us also in eternity. So generosity has a two-pronged blessing on the person who's being generous. The second way in which uh, we receive a benefit from being generous is that it blesses the church with love and unity. God's church benefits from generous giving. And and here's what Paul says to the Corinthians and the Macedonians uh, because of what they have done in their generosity towards the church in Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians 9, 12 to 4. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it also or is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God for for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. That's a long passage, but let me highlight a couple of things that are going on here. Look at all the different benefits that come from these churches being generous towards the church in Jerusalem. So first in verse 12, we saw that the church in Jerusalem had all of their needs met. So that's benefit number one. Secondly, the church in Jerusalem, they now overflow with thanks to God. When, when someone is generous towards you, it makes you feel joy. It's like, God, you care for me. You know my needs and you provide it and now I am praising you. Third, the church in Jerusalem, they praise God also for the faith and the obedience of their brothers and sisters in Corinth and Macedonia. So they have this bond and this unity that's forming. Fourth, the Jerusalem church, they pray for the Corinthians and the Macedonians because they feel indebted to them in gratitude, which is a good thing. And fifth, those prayers bring the believers into closer relationship because when we intercede for each other, when we pray for each other, that's what happens. A bond of unity and love. Love begins to form and strengthen. So that's a cool thing that takes place when when we have generosity in our church. And the third benefit is that the world takes note about God and then about our generosity and God receives the glory. Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Generosity towards God and others causes the world to sit up and take notice of what God is doing in this place. They say, whoa, God must be there because look at the way they live. They're not a bunch of Sunday Christians, but they are generous in their life and their lifestyle. A few examples of generosity in our church that I believe is carrying a generous reputation to the people in our community and causing them to maybe consider the goodness of God. I would start first with our Awana program. 
We, are, we have so many volunteers in this program who have been generous in their time and their, in their talent, and they're revealing the love of Christ to families all over our community. How could people not sit up and take note of what God is doing through the people and their generosity in this church? How about the women's group? When they serve at funerals, whether they're from people in our own church or they're people outside the church, that act of, of selfless giving and serving is a great testimony. We had, we had a moment like that this fall where my neighbor asked for us to do the funeral for them. We, they had no connection to our church, but they went on and on and on for months after that about how the women in our church jumped up and served. They were so blown away by that generosity. How about the men's group? I know that the Oyster Supper, we had this, the, the origins of this were because you needed 30 tractors to do a quarter section of land back in the day and get it all harvested, but now it doesn't take that many. We still have this Oyster Supper. We still have other men coming in from the community and spending time in Christian fellowship. That is a generosity piece that our church continues to give. All of you, the way that you support God's work here in Kandu through the finances that you give to this church, not only so that we can keep the lights on, but so that we can support ministry in this place and in this community, that is something that our community has taken note of. Time and time again, there are people from outside the walls of this church that talk to me and others from our church, and they say, hey, what's going on at your church? We've never seen it like this before, or at least not for a long time. This week, Karen and I, we were at a, a business in town, and someone said to us, they didn't even introduce themselves, or they didn't even ask a question or say hello. They just said, hey, what time is your service? And, and we found that amazing, that they wanted to come. They were interested. They heard about what was going on because of the generosity of CFC. So give yourselves a holy pat on the back and take those kudos from God and keep being generous. It's an amazing thing that happens when we give and allow God to bless us, bless himself, and bless the community that we share right here at CFC. One final encouragement for all of us here as we wind up this series is to grow in generous giving. I think it's great when we take a small step forward and we say, yeah, you know, I'm doing a little bit more today or I'm giving a little bit more today than I did yesterday. But I don't think that our relationship with God is meant to plateau where we say, well, I memorized one verse, so I think I'm good for the rest of my life. We keep going and we keep growing and we keep pressing into Jesus. And the same thing is meant to happen, I believe, in our generosity. Why is this? You ask, why is it important specifically that we grow in generosity? Well, I'm going to say something that might surprise you a little bit. Our eternity is at stake. Let me ask you this. Do people fall away from faith in Jesus Christ? This is not a trick question. The answer, unfortunately, is yes. Some people will, will begin a relationship with God, and then they will walk away from it. Do you know what kind of people don't walk away from their faith in God? It's people who intentionally grow in their faith. They don't take it for granted. They don't just assume, well, my parents were Christians, so surely I am fine the way I am. No, they own it themselves and they say, I'm going to make sure that my faith in Jesus is stronger than anyone else's because I don't want to assume anything. Matthew 6, verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where is our treasure? It's where we spend our money. If our money is invested primarily in us 
or in things that are for our personal enjoyment, well, guess what? That's where your heart is. That's where you have placed the most importance on self and personal enjoyment. That's what we do when we spend money on us. But if our money is invested primarily in the kingdom of God, then we are showing that our heart is truly with him. Jeff, are you saying that we can buy our way into heaven? Some of us may become cynical and go there. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. Don't hear me wrong. But what I am saying is this. Our heart follows our treasure. In this series that we've been studying for the last seven weeks, we've heard many, many examples of people living and giving extravagantly and generously because they weren't caught up in the things of this world. Instead, they gave their hearts to Jesus. Through their generosity, they affirmed that their hearts did not belong to this world and they fully gave themselves over to God. See, that's the beautiful thing about generosity, my friends. We affirm that we're not living for today, but we're living for the glorious future that will exceed our wildest expectations because it's something that God gives us. It's not something where we give it to ourselves. Generosity sets the bar high for our giving. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I think, once again, generosity sets the bar so high that it means that our giving is meant to far exceed the 10% threshold that was set by the tithe. If you make very little money or are presently in a difficult financial situation and haven't given before, here's my practical advice to you. Pray. Just pray and ask God, Lord, Can I give one or 2% because I want to start living generously for you. And then by faith, give one or 2% off the top of your paycheck and give that to God here through the church and then see what happens. See how God grows and allows you to give more as time progresses. If you are already giving plan and pray and adjust to give a little bit more. Maybe you can give 5%. That would be marvelous. And we would be so thankful and God would be so honored. If you're giving 10% because a lot of us have probably met that mark in the past because of teaching that we've received, maybe we can pray and go to 11% or 12% or or 15% because God is blessing us with a heart that desires to be generous. And that's a good thing. Uh, You know, some of us, Likely, this might sound a little crazy, some of us likely can give 25, 30, or 35% of our income to God because he has blessed us tremendously. And why not invest in the life that you have with Jesus in the future instead of buying another thing to fill your life with in the here and now that we'll never be able to take with us? Tomorrow is not guaranteed, but eternity is. I don't know what it is, but Karen and I, as we went through this teaching for ourselves uh, recently, we prayed and, and we've been asking God, please help us to be not just obedient in our giving, but growing in obedience and generosity in our giving. And the the wildest thing has happened. It it sounds like it should be painful to give away more uh, of something that we've maybe been used to keeping for ourselves. But, but God, by his grace, has led Karen and I to a different dollar figure than we've ever given before, a different proportional number. And the joy and the cheerfulness in our hearts that we have has exceeded our expectations. 
we, we kind of were tickled when we were learning this stuff and we thought, man, this is going to be fun to give more to God, but it's exceeded what we thought it would be. It's so much of a pleasure and we love to give, but here's the thing. When, when God says he, that he loves a cheerful giver, you have to be a giver first in order to be a recipient of the cheerfulness or the joy that God promises So as we walk this out in obedience, our joy grew. And I believe the same is going to be true for all of us. As you pray and ask the Lord, what am I supposed to give? And you do it obediently. God is going to give you a heart that rejoices in ways that you didn't think were possible. I love that part about what God asks us to do. We obey and he blesses and it just continues to grow. So I'm going to pray now, because this is the end of our series. This is the end of our message. I'm going to pray for us to grow in generosity. As I do that, Karen and Leona, why don't you guys come forward and prepare to, to lead us in a closing song. Father in heaven, this is amazing. I, at the beginning of this series, I didn't even think that generosity was this good or this amazing or this complementary to everything that matters in our life of faith. But Jesus, you have such a great design that it, it reaches far beyond anything that we would expect or assume. And you bless us, Lord. Thank you. But here's the thing, God. We want to bless you because you've already blessed us in giving us your son, Jesus. Now we want to bless you in giving of our lives, our, our time, our talent, our prayer, our finances. And as we do that, Jesus, it might be tough at first. We might not understand exactly what this is going to feel like, but Jesus, we pray for just radical obedience that we would meet the mark of giving generously that you have set for us. And Jesus, we trust that you are going to bless us. We trust that you are going to fill our hearts with joy and gratitude that we get to give in the way that you've asked us to. Please grow this heart in us in the way that you're interested in growing us in every other aspect of this life of faith that you have called us to. Bless you, Jesus. Amen.